1: Hey, this is Dan Fleischman, the youngest founder of a public company in history. Hey, everybody, this is
2: Chris Harder, founder and host of the hit podcast For the Love of Money, where we believe that when good people make good money, they do great things.
3: Hey, this is Jeff Hoffman, serial entrepreneur from Priceline.com and UBid.com.
2: And if you want to learn the skill of adding value to others, and if you want to get your money mindset right,
3: and if you want to learn how to scale your relationships,
2: you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast. Build Your Network.
3: Build Your Network podcast.
2: With my good friend. Travis Chappell. Travis Chappell. Travis Chappell.
0: Welcome back to the show. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know. If you agree, then keep on listening for tips on how to cultivate meaningful connections the right way. If you disagree, then tune in anyway to let me prove you wrong with my journey. My name is Travis Chappell, and this is the Build Your Network podcast. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We are in the middle of a series right now about mentorship and masterminds, and I can't wait to share today's episode with you all. But first, you hear my guest and I talk a lot about masterminds on the show. If this is a new term to you, or you've always kind of wondered exactly what a mastermind is or what it does or how it's beneficial, you are definitely going to want to take my free mastermind course I get this question so often that I decided, you know what, I'm just going to put it all into a course and give it away as a free resource for people to go check out. That way, next time somebody asks me exactly what a mastermind is, I can just point them in that direction. So this is everything you need to know about masterminds in just six short lessons. It's 100% free, so there's literally no reason to not at least see what it's about. Just head over to freemmcourse.com to grab that course and get started today. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another amazing topic episode here on the Build Your Network podcast. Today is all about entrepreneurship. I could think of no better people to bring on than Dan Fleischman, Chris Harder, and Jeff Hoffman. Dan is the youngest founder of a publicly traded company in history. When he was a young kid, he trademarked the phrase, who's your daddy, and put it on on a bunch of apparel and energy drinks. And since then, now he's been an angel investor, poker player, and really a professional connector. The guy just knows everybody and everybody loves him. He is the epitome of a giver and I love people like that. And then we move to Chris Harder, who is a network marketing professional, a mortgage professional before that, and now has taken all of those years of expertise and knowledge and invested that into the personal brand that he's built up today, um, where he helps other entrepreneurs with increase is increasing in their sales and their personal brand and their online presence uh, with his wife, Lori. And then Jeff Hoffman, who is the co-founder of Priceline Dot .com so this is a power house episode just jam-packed full of information about entrepreneurship and you're definitely going to want to tune in. But real quick before we get into that, I want to let you all know I recently opened up a few VIP day slots in my calendar. So if podcasting or networking are on the top of your priority list for 2019, this is the most valuable investment that I have available. You're going to fly out here to Vegas and spend a full day with me one-on-one to either help you launch a podcast or build a foolproof networking strategy for you for the rest of the year. The whole experience is catered to you in terms of what we're going to cover and even where we're going to eat all of the meals and all that kind of stuff throughout the day. Plus I give VIP day guests access to a few key people in my network who I've invested tens of thousands of dollars and countless hours into building relationships with. Since opening it up really recently, the four spots that I opened sold out. And so now I recently opened up four more spots and one of those is already taken. So if you're interested in this experience at all, head over to travischapel.com slash coaching to apply. And hopefully I will see you here in Vegas really, really soon. And now here is entrepreneurship with Dan Fleischman, Chris Harder, and Jeff Hoffman. Can you talk a little bit about how affluence or having money or seeing success has helped you to create just like a way larger impact as far as like, I know there's a lot of people that disparage entrepreneurs and say, basically, like if you make more than X amount of, you know, dollars the a 1%. year, you're greedy and you should, you don't, you don't, deserve anything and like, you should give it out to everybody else. And you know what I mean? Like, so can you talk a little bit about breaking down those yeah, walls? I think, I think
1: people that are mad at the 1% are insane. Yeah. Listen, there's a different type of 1%. There's the 1% that buy Rolls Royces and then they put gold on the outside and make it a hologram and then it's dripping with <laughs> Gucci and Chanel and they're, they're flashing seven watches and their private jet hovers. like what? Right? That's a different type of 1%. Right, right. Being mad at people wanting to make money and do better for their family and their kids and their grandkids and their grandkids, like that's insane. Mm. Being upset that if they just stroke a check to donate to a charity, yeah. being mad about that is insane. Everything about the fact that other people making money and being upset about it is insane to me Right, because it's part of the game. It's part of business. It's part of life. But the amount of money people are going to need 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 50 years from now, 100 years from now is way higher than what it is now. Right. People are already don't make the money that they need to, to survive. It's expensive.
0: Right. That's the scary thing for me, man. Like being in the generation that I'm
1: in as a millennial and in my
0: 20s, like looking at that as our future, like that is, I mean that's the future. Like we can't, we're not going to be able to do what my parents or maybe my grandparents did and work like 40 years at a job and retire off my pension and get some money from social security. Like it's not going to be an option.
1: Right. If we even have social security. Exactly. Yeah. Which probably we won't. (laughs) Inflation is, inflation isn't stopping. Mm -hmm. And the amount of what people make is just not proportionate. The middle class will stay middle or go lower the rich are just going to get much, much richer because it's so easy to make money once you have money. Hmm. And real estate will never stop because we're gaining hundreds of new millions of people a year. Right. And not enough people are dying. I'm not saying that in a bad way. I just yeah. we're, we're going from 7 <laughs> right. billion to 7.2 to 7.4 to 8 billion. Like When we hit 10 billion people, think about what happens to real estate. Right. What happens when we have 12 billion people? Hmm. Because as we get hundreds of millions of more people, what happens? Well, they make, they produce together hundreds of millions of more people And then ten, or sorry, then thirty years later, they make hundreds of millions more people, Mm -hmm. and it's a compounding effect that happens. They all got to live somewhere, and they all want to live here. Right? They all want to live in California, and they want to live in New York, and Miami, and Las Vegas. Like, look at Las Vegas now and seven years ago. Oh my gosh, it's crazy! It's crazy. If you just look like a a helicopter photo from above, or the space from above, of just how many more homes and lights there are, there's a million more lights now. (laughs) Like we're in the desert. Right.
0: Las then, Vegas. Literally the middle of nowhere. Right. <laughs> it's like an island of things. And then outside of that is just acres and acres and acres and square miles of right. desert. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a seventy-five dollar sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at Indeed.com/travis. Just go to Indeed.com/travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com/travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire. You need,
1: indeed. So what happens is the wealthy get much wealthier because of real estate, because of the stock market, because of all the things that happen there, but then also on consumer goods, restaurants, grocery stores, parking lots, cars, gasoline, all the things that we have to consume that are Mm. the mandatory things we consume, more and more, hundreds of millions of more people are going to be doing that every single year. Mm. And that's going to compound to 8 billion, 9 billion, 10 billion. So wanting to have generational wealth for your family It's mandatory at this point. Right. And the fact that if you know that middle class can go lower, especially look at San Francisco, you look at the wealthiest people on the planet and that are only going to get wealthier. But then there's people making 120 grand a year living out of their car. Right. Yeah, exactly. Because inflation of real estate there went so insane that it's unsustainable. Yeah.
0: So basically, the more inflation happens and the more the population continues to grow, the fewer amount of people will find themselves in the middle class is like middle class is basically disappearing at this point. People are becoming millionaires. You're becoming like up in the quote unquote rich part of society, or you're
1: like going below the poverty line. You're going to get by. Right. So how do you prevent yourself from doing that? What are some like, so there's never been an easier time to make more money hmm. doing e-commerce and drop shipping, investing in real estate, buying rental homes. Like it sounds crazy to buy a rental home, they're not as expensive as people think. Right. You don't have to buy a $600,000 house. Mm-hmm. You can buy a $140,000 house, rent it out for a thousand bucks a month. doesn't sound like much money, but if every year you do that and every two years you do that and you buy another condo, another house, and you just rent them out for $1,100 a month and $800 a month, $1,500 a month, I'm not talking about $400,000 houses with three grand a month. Mm-hmm. You buy a $140,000 condo and you can't come up with 14 grand, people can Right. And the problem is too many people are making 50 grand a year and just existing and buying more Supreme.
0: Exactly. Yeah. That's the big thing is that you live up to your means instead of living below your means. And you want to go buy the new Camaro instead of just getting a used Camry or something like that. Can you talk a little bit about like how living below your means is
1: going to allow some of these people to be able to move on to the next level, quote unquote, of finance? Right. So what happens is, The more money you have to work with, whether you're buying cryptocurrency, whether you're investing in real estate, whatever it is to do with that money, or now you put it into your business or yourself, then it can replicate. Then it can grow. If you take the money that you're doing, instead of having a two grand a month apartment, now you have a three grand a month apartment. And instead of having the the Camry, now you get the BMW. That small change of a thousand bucks a month and 500 bucks a month, that 1500 bucks is 18 grand a year
0: which is exactly the figure that you were just talking about
1: to buy a piece of real estate (laughs) that can possibly put more money in your pocket. Every year. Yeah, for sure. Just by doing that simple thing of not going. And I'm not saying to not go to Starbucks because it's four bucks a day. Like, I'm not getting that granular. Mm. I'm talking about... Not necessarily on the Dave Ramsey plan of financial freedom. Yeah. That's also not living. Right. I'm not saying not to go to Starbucks and have something that you enjoy. Mm. Right. I'm not saying those things. I'm saying you don't need a Benz. Mm. You just don't, right? I haven't owned a car in four years. <laughs> I literally don't have a car.
0: That's hilarious. It's hilarious to me just because of the people that I know that are out driving $60,000, $70,000 cars when I know I know very well how much, you know, how much, they how much they're yeah. making. And it's just like, I don't know if it's just naivety, like they just don't believe that that's coming in the future or if it's just lack days of attitude, like they just don't care.
1: People you know? think that it's never going to stop. Hmm. You know, they work at the nightclub. They make seven grand a month in tips and they think the nightclub's gonna be open forever. Mm. Yeah. You see it here in Las Vegas the most. Mm -hmm. Bottle service girl comes here, starts making $9,200 in the month and doesn't understand that November, December, and January, the clubs suck Mm. and they're closed basically. And those months, she's gonna make three grand. Right. But But she's still got bills to pay up to seven grand. Yes. Yes. But now her car, instead of 400 bucks, is 1,200 because she had to get the sickest one. And then she spent 4,500 bucks on wheels and she bought the Gucci bag and the Chanel. I'm not calling out bottle service girls. I'm just using the example of they found something that they could make good money on and think it's gonna last forever. Mm -hmm. And we've seen it over and over where people get into something and they think it's gonna last forever. And then when it stops, they don't know what to do. And they have no savings because they're wearing their savings or they're driving their savings or they ate their savings or they drank their savings. So what do you feel about a side hustle? So I'm the biggest proponent of side hustles it's absolutely positively the easiest time in history to do it mm-hmm. because you have mobile apps and websites that are provided for you in seconds mm-hmm. for cheap or free. You can start a ClickFunnels site tonight selling podcastmics.com and we can start selling podcast mics that we drop ship from Alibaba tonight. I can go register all the social medias for at podcast mics tonight and go get the trademark. If I want to spend money, if I don't want to spend money, I don't get the trademark mm-hmm. and all of a sudden podcastmics.com that you and I own together launches tonight. And I can do my contract with you for 50/50 deal on legalzoom.com. And by tonight, podcastmics.com is a business. <laughs> and now instead of spending 5 grand to do X Y and Z, I just take that 5 grand and actually put it into podcastmics.com for Facebook ads and I start buying some other ads. Yeah. And it, if it converts, I spend more. And if it doesn't, I don't. Like I can have a business tonight. Right. Whether it's eBay, drop shipping, e-commerce, real estate, Buying and selling t shirts, flipping stuff, the things that you see Gary Vee talk about, those are real. Mm. He's just talking about the very small version of it of, the, of you going and get stuff for free and then right. selling that couch, right? That works too. But if you want to actually make money, take a thousand bucks and use that as your flipping money, right? Take four grand, use that as your flipping money. Some of it's still a game to me. Like I bought 100 something pairs of Gary Vee shoes for fun. I gave out 20 or 30 to my friends and staff, and then I have the other ones to flip. Mm. I don't need to do that. I don't need to flip shoes. Mm-hmm. I like it. It's fun. Yeah. Right. Right. The game is fun. His last shoes, I bought forty pairs and texted him a picture because I was like, "Look, I'm, these forty, I'm going to give. I'm going to hold aside." And I actually had twenty five get sent to the office that I gave out to my friends again hmm. and some of the staff. Yeah. But those forty pairs are just for me to hold because Gary is on this path where he's going to get famouser and famouser. They may be worth more, and if they're not, I'll give them away. Right. But what's my risk? Four grand. <laughs> my upside is. 10 grand, 20 grand, 30 grand. Right. If they do go to three, four, five, six hundred bucks like they are on eBay already. That's my upside. My downside is nothing. They're right. never gonna be worth less than that hundred bucks, but they're always gonna be worth something for me to just give away for free or for a contest or whatever. That's the game to me. And if I'm doing it, why wouldn't anybody be doing that?
0: Right. And then people have this idea too, where they have to have money to start it. You know, I have this idea, right? Everybody has an idea. I have this idea to do this, 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 and this, but I need money for that. And I'm right now, I'm only able to save like 150 bucks a month because my job is this and my expenses are this. And I bought this other thing and this other thing that I shouldn't have had. And now I don't have any money to do any of that. But what you do have is time, right? So what you're just talking about, spend your time to go do some of these things, like go do some of the stuff that you maybe like save the money and use the time. You got to do one or the other, you got to either have some money to spend on it. And, you know, you got to pay a VA to go target podcast mics, you know, uh, hashtags on Instagram and follow all these people and get people interested in your stuff. And then, you know, if you don't have money to spend on Facebook ads, maybe you don't spend the money on Facebook ads. But I know because I'm in them, there's like, there's like 100 podcasting Facebook groups out there. So go join 100 podcasting Facebook groups. And from eight, p.m. till 11 p.m., just add value, put in content right. in podcasting Facebook groups. And right. then those people come over to your Facebook page and they, they go, oh, he sells podcasting mics. Perfect. I'm looking for a podcasting mic. Or my buddy just started a podcast. Maybe I can hook him up with yep. this guy. And it's just, I think it mainly just comes from like a fundamental belief that everything is going to be okay, even if you don't put in the work to make sure that it's okay, right. which is completely misleading for a lot of people. And I'm not a doom and gloom kind of a guy. Like I'm, I'm very positive, but At the same time, I'm a realist. You have to be able to look into the future and be like, look, if I keep going on the path that I'm at right now, maybe best case scenario, I have what, $1.1, $1.2 million in my 401k by the time I retire? Like, what is that? 50k a year for 20 years? Can you live off of $50,000 a year in... 40 years from now, probably not, you know, so you're going to have to start, you're going to retire at 65 and then you're going to have to get the side hustle then. So I'd rather have a side hustle now (laughs) and putting away money now that can compound by the time I'm at that age to be able to actually like retire when I want to retire. Sure.
1: The premise about not having the money, that's literally what I wrote the book about. It's called how to set up your business for under $1,000. Perfect. Because people don't need as much money anymore to get started. Yeah. Every single time I autograph a book, I say one thing just get started. Hmm. Because if we want to start podcastmics.com, we could start it right as we're sitting here. Mm -hmm. Like I could register everything right now, get it set up on Alibaba. Within hours, within hours, you and I would have a 50 50 joint venture business live on social media. I would take pictures of these mics. I would drag and drop pictures off of podcasts. I Google search images. I'd set up a a clickfunnels.com or a Shopify account. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, we have a business off of an idea and guess what if it doesn't work what was our risk yeah three or a couple, four hours a couple hours yeah, right we didn't even buy the inventory we didn't right if we wanted to go crazy we could buy 500 bucks in inventory now we have a 500 hundred dollar loss right. max max <laughs> and we could probably then sell those off to, back to somebody right exactly it's just not as hard anymore so what do you think it is like
0: what do you think the big thing is that holds people back from doing it themselves they just like people are scared. It's not the
1: lack of desire, right? Most people I talk to, they have a desire to They all something. want entrepreneur.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a great
1: term <laughs> they, for it. Everybody wants to, they all want to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Remember, we all want to be rappers and the <laughs> rappers all want to be basketball players. And everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. Right. Somehow, the last couple of years it became cool to become an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is fantastic for all of us. But it, there's so many people that just don't take the actual steps to do it. Mm-hmm. They just read all the books. They listen to all the podcasts and don't implement it, right? You have to do both because while you're listening to this podcast and every other podcast and while you're reading those books, there's a lot of other hours in the day to actually do stuff. To actually do stuff. Exactly. And everything on the internet
0: is 24 hours. I love the people that brag to me about how crazy their schedule is. Fake busy. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, so like, what was your revenue last month? And it's like, well, you know we have this going. It's like, okay, we'll break down your schedule. Like, what have you actually done? Like, what are you talking about? Like, how did you work 16 hours yesterday? Because I have not put in a 16 hour day in a really long time. (laughs) Like, tell me exactly what you did. Like, you're not actually doing real work. Like spending time on social media, sometimes does not qualify as work. Like what you're doing isn't real work. You're just doing a bunch of stuff to stay busy, but you're not doing anything to actually be productive. You actually have to do stuff that moves the bottom line and moves the money needle, so to
1: speak. Yeah. Obviously people have heard the term fake busy. It's never happened the way it's happening now because people just want to photograph them being busy. And they want to talk about their meetings, but the problem is they're not efficient at what they're doing. So a lot of times people repeat the same thing over and over. They say, okay, I'm going to do this. I have to do this. But also people are busy with things that don't match their income. Hmm. What I mean by that is if you make, 50 bucks an hour at your job. So let's say you're making six grand a month or seven grand a month, you have a good solid job. Mm. Why would you ever garden the lawn? Yeah. If you can pay 10 bucks an hour or 15 bucks an hour, 20 bucks an hour, why would you ever garden the lawn if you make 60? Mm -hmm. Because if I stood in front of you today and not talked about gardening, I said, hey, for the next hour, I will give you $60, right? Or I said, I will give you $20. Or I'll say, I'll save you $40. Right. Every one of those you think about, like, wait a minute, that's a practical way to look at it,
0: right? What is my time worth?
1: If you make sixty bucks an hour and you do a ten or twenty dollar an hour thing, you're physically paying and losing money by doing that. Yeah. And there's setup time prior and there's setup time after or clean up after. So during that one hour process of mowing the lawn, you've lost money and wasted time. Now, if you just enjoy mowing the lawn and it's Sunday at eleven a.m. and that's just what you want to do, that's fine. Maybe you're not losing money. Mm-mm. But the inefficiency of what most people do is Monday through Friday. They're driving to the dry cleaners. Right. Why did you just spend 94 minutes to go across town to go pick up your dry cleaning and drive back? Why did that happen? Mm -hmm. When there's services to bring it right to you, there's mobile apps to bring it right to you that cost you 30 bucks. Right. I would never pay 30 bucks to get my dry cleaning shipped to me. Oh, you wouldn't? Right. Well, you make 60 bucks an hour. So two hours of your time is $120. You wouldn't pay $30 to get 120. Right. And to remove a stress from your life.
0: So the catch is here is that you actually have to be doing stuff during the time that you would be paying. Right. Yes. like, cause I think some people use that as an excuse to just like not do anything. Right. And then like during that time where they're supposed to be picking up their dry cleaning or whatever, and they paid somebody else to do it, they're just like watching TV the whole time. Like, well, I make 60 bucks an hour. So, you know, somebody else can get my dry cleaning. And it's like, okay, well, but you're spending that hour watching TV. Right. So you got to actually, which comes back to exactly what we started the conversation with, which is like, you still got to go do something. You can't just, you can't just sit there. Right. Something has to be done.
1: We just never had a space or a time where everything is on a mobile app. Yeah. Everything's on the internet. Right. And everything will come to you. Amazon Prime, Postmates, Lyft, <laughs> Uber, all these things, all these features, TaskRabbit, they just all come to you and they all do it so quickly and so efficiently. You know how you can tell it's efficient? Because all those companies I just mentioned are losing money. Hmm. Uber loses $240 million a month. Because they don't charge enough. Do you know how simple it would be if they just raised the price by $1? That's crazy. They would lose actually zero customers. Like the number would be zero. Out of their 80 million, 200 million, whatever the heck number of customers, they would lose zero. Yeah. If they raised it by $1. But it all of a sudden become a break-even company or maybe profitable. Right. The problem in society is we're at this time where it's actually better for them to not be profitable. It's better for Snapchat to be losing money. It's better for Uber to be losing money. Because their valuations are based on
0: their potential. Right. right. That's crazy. <laughs> That's right. a mind-blowing concept by itself.
1: There's no yeah. business that I invest in or work on that it's not about revenue and right. net, net profits. Not one. I never will. It's got to be a fad, right? That's <laughs> got to
0: stop happening because the people investing in these are eventually going to be like, wait a second, we're not getting any money back,
1: right? Well, they do get money back from almost like a Ponzi, even though they're not trying to be a Ponzi scheme. Yeah. Each new valuation, look at the scooter companies right now. Yeah. Why is a scooter company go from a $8 million valuation to 100 to 1 billion in 6 months? They don't make money. People renting scooters on the sidewalk in Santa Monica for $2 a mile or $1.20 a mile. Mm-hmm. That's not a profitable business. And you know, it never will be. Mm. So, how are they getting a billion valuation half a year after having an $8 million
0: valuation? Half a year.
1: Yeah. It's the fastest bubble insanity I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. And it won't stop because they're getting offers for bigger numbers. That's ludicrous. And they can't even produce enough scooters. And even when they do, it doesn't matter because they don't net margin. They don't net profit. anything.
0: So I read off in in your bio a little bit about your career in banking. So a really good industry to get into and probably a job that a lot of people would really see themselves as successful for having. Talk to us about the transition that you made from corporate America into entrepreneurship and what kind of sparked that.
2: Yeah, for sure. I think for me to talk about that transition, I have to first kind of tell you what it was like for me in corporate America. So I was actually a college dropout. And I guess when I say dropout, I mean they drop kicked me out of college. <laughs> After two and a half years, they're like, You're no longer welcome here. Yeah. And you'd think one would be like devastated, right? But I wasn't. I was so happy because sitting in a classroom and learning was not my thing. The worst. Like getting out <laughs> and doing and, and like making money and being an entrepreneur or climbing the ranks of a business. That's what like spoke to me. And I couldn't wait to start doing it. So I left college and I got a job selling cars. Why? Because I loved cars, right? Seemed logical. And I just crushed it right away. That's kind of where I started to learn the art of sales and the, the art of relationship building. And so after just three months from getting into the car sales, I became the top salesman out 25 salesmen there. Hmm. And then they promoted me to the F&I department which is, you know, that department that arranges your loans and your warranties and financing and all that stuff. And really that department is just all sales too. Don't let them fool you. They are selling you and making a profit. And so I got into that department. And when the head of that department was leaving a few months later, I got promoted to run that whole department as well. So now I've learned sales, I've learned relationship building, and I was starting to cut my teeth on leadership. And after about a year and a half doing that, all my friends were starting to go over to the mortgage business because there's this big mortgage boom starting to happen back then. And this was probably late, late nineties, like 99, something like that. I'd have to check my timeline and I wanted to make the money that they were making, of course. And so I thought, Hey, I'm going to take these skills. I'm going to go over the mortgage business. And I got a job with this huge international bank, uh, kind of starting out in subprime lending for them. And I was just a a regular old loan officer, Mm -hmm. but. I crushed it. I loved it. To me, it was just more sales and more relationship building. And and it was like a a competition for me. And I I just really enjoyed it. What you enjoy, you do really well at, right? So I enjoyed it and I became the number one loan officer in literally in the United States out of thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of loan officers. So then they gave me a branch and then they gave me a bigger branch. I was branch manager of these branches. And then they gave me a district and then a division. And before you knew it, like a region and I was one of the fastest rising executives at the world's largest international bank at this time. So for a college dropout, not too bad. Not too shabby. yeah. It was really exciting. It was a great period of time in my life. It was, if you've ever seen the movie, like The Big Short or Boiler Room, Mm -hmm. or gosh, there's another good one. I forget what it is. That's what it was like. It's just like this really fun sales atmosphere, competition atmosphere, scoreboard atmosphere. And everyone was making money, so everyone was having a good time. And everyone was having a good time until... Great Recession Mm. hit. And that is just like everything turned off like a faucet. Not so much. Oh, it's horrible. And so I went from this really fun, encouraging sales type atmosphere where I was training. Gosh, literally, I think I had maybe a thousand people below me at the time uh, on sales and leadership and all that fun stuff to flying around for a year, closing down branches and letting people go. Wow. It was the worst point of my life, the worst year of my life. And I gained Um, My marriage was a disaster because I was a disaster. And you know, so if you're not a happy individual, you're not a happy partner either. And something needed to change. Well, after a year of flying around with this international bank, closing down their branches, it became my turn. They said, Hey, we'd love to give you a demotion of a demotion of a demotion to this branch in Jersey and wait this thing out. Or you can have a severance package. And I was so done. I'm like, severance package, please. I remember my boss and my boss's boss both said to me, Like, wait, don't you want to go home and talk to Lori about this? I'm like, nope, trust me. She wants me out of here. So (laughs) I took the severance package and this is the sad part. It was one of those big multi six figure severance packages. And we had made just a ton of money, especially for young people in their 20s up to that point. But we spent it all and then some and Mm -hmm. then some and then some. And so I had to spend the entire severance package just paying off debt and getting back to zero. Matter of fact, getting back to below zero, I kid you not, we sold all of our fancy cars, we sold, except for one, that was so far upside down we couldn't sell it. We sold this great big home that we had just gotten into, like you name it, we we're living way beyond our means. Hmm. And to compound that, there were no jobs available during this part of the recession, especially for bankers that were a college dropout, regardless of my fancy title I held. And so a friend of mine who I used to work with, his name was Todd, he had started this tiny little mortgage brokerage and he called me up. He said, come over and partner up with me. You know, I know what you're good at. You know what I'm good at. They're opposite skill sets. Let's blow this thing up. And because I really didn't have any other options, right, of course, I was like, sweet, I'll do it. And yeah, we blew it up. Matter of fact, in the three years that were the tail end of the recession, we took it from this little nothing mortgage brokerage to 155 employees in seven States doing $330 million a year in loans. Wow. And you know, during the recession, that's insane growth.
0: Oh yeah. Anything it's, in the real estate field in that recession period. I mean, this is, this is what probably 2006 to 2009 ish and some more in there.
2: No, I think I left the international bank around 2008, 2009. And so we grew this from let's say 2009, 10 and 11, okay. right? Okay. Everyone's just kind of catching their breath and, mm-hmm. and figuring out what just happened. Exactly. And so, you know, you'd think that'd be a success story, but it wasn't because I wasn't making any money there despite the fast growth, because all the money was being put back into the company and as this junior tiny fractional partner compared to what Todd had, had owned in the company. And I was miserable. I didn't like the people I worked with. I didn't like going to work and Todd and I wanted to run the company in very opposite mm-hmm. ways and so it wasn't working out and I became more miserable and more mis- miserable and more miserable and so. Finally, obviously something had to change. And it was right about this time that two different businesses for us on the side were starting to take off. And one of those was my wife's brand. You know, at the time it was a, she owned a small fitness studio in Minneapolis and she had just started this little online workout program too. And then a network marketing company that we joined with, we just dabbled in and realized you could make some money in it after being resistant for like over a year to even sharing it. And so I, Lori sat me now and she's like, why don't you leave the business and we'll work on these two businesses together. We can totally blow this up. And that seemed like the most appealing thing on the planet. And that's what I did. I, I pulled out of my partnership and, and came home, so to speak, to work with Lori, to blow up her brand and blow up that network marketing company that we had, and you know, as people from the outside looking in would say it was this massive success story and this trajectory that went so quickly. And while it did, yes. They don't see all the work and the ups and the downs and hmm. and the sweat and and the tears and all the stuff that kind of goes into the back end, right? They right, just see the right. end result. And so, um, really blessed to have made that transition. It saved our marriage. It saved our finances. It saved you know everything. And and now we have the ability to make such huge impact on the world that we just didn't have when I was in the banking world.
0: Wow, wow, incredible story, so many takeaways from that, but I think that one of the biggest ones is when you were talking about how you know it's just funny because people will always look at the success story that you have now and maybe just in the network marketing company that you're in and then just mark it up to luck and timing or something like that, and like you were saying, they didn't see all the things that were going on behind the scenes. I mean some of those things would be the fifteen plus however many years you had. In experience and sales with car sales and then financing with the cars and then being a mortgage broker or mortgage banker and all that entire time, you're building a skill set of how to sell, how to build relationships with people, how to market yourself, how to do all these different things. And then when you got into the a good opportunity, then you blew it up. And I think it's funny when people just attribute it to luck or attribute it to timing when you but you didn't see all the stuff that was going on before this was. The thing to take us to the next level. And so
2: I've got a theory around that. You know, the reason why people call people overnight successes is they really don't know any better because they don't see you until they see you. Right. And if you think about it, why do they finally see you is because you finally have gotten that traction and that momentum and that visibility that you worked so hard to get. Yeah. And so if they don't see you until they see you, that means they didn't get to see all the back work. They didn't get to see all the time it took to get up there. All they know is, wow, I found this guy a couple of months
0: ago and he seems to be crushing it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just happy. I'm happy that we got to talk about the foundation before we talked about this success, because that is ultimately the most important thing. And I think, I think it's Grant Cardone that always says, you know, yeah, I'm an overnight success. It took me 25 years, but I'm an overnight success. You know, and it's just like, it's, you put in the work and then the opportunities will create themselves. And then you have more skill set, more knowledge, more connections to be able to take advantage of those opportunities when you get in there. How you got into all of this? Like, has entrepreneurship been something that's just, you know, been in your blood since day one? If not, how did you get it to be that way? And if yes, do you think that this is something that can be learned or is it just something that you're kind of born with?
3: Well, I think, you know, and that's always such a good question. And I think the answer is both. Are entrepreneurs born or made? I think it's both. The made part, the learned part is, you know, this, your podcast right here, right? The more that, education people absorb and the more chance they get to learn from each other and from people who've already been down that path, the better of an entrepreneur and the higher your chances of success are. So there's a made part. But I think, Travis, there's a born part because there's a DNA thing that really distinguishes entrepreneurs. For example, (laughs) I'm telling you some of my DNA, I'm like the most impatient person on the planet. (laughs) And I have been trying to fix that, but I got to be honest with you. I'm the guy that's in the line Saying, oh my God, how can this take so long? And people are always saying, dude, calm down. It just takes that long. (laughs) And I'm always saying, well, how does it take this long? What are these people doing? Why can't they do this faster? Um, And everybody else always says, man, just calm down. It just takes this long. And that personality flaw, that part of my DNA caused me to be an entrepreneur. So I didn't set out to be an entrepreneur. I set out to make things better. And I'll tell you, my first startup ever was that exact moment, standing in a long line that took almost an hour to check in for a flight at an airport. And I was going nuts because when you get to the end of the line, they look at your ID and they hit print and hand you a boarding pass. Right, right. And I said, how on earth does it take? I stand in line for an hour so you can print me a sheet of paper off a printer. The woman's saying, you know, next. And I'm like, no, 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 wait a minute. (laughs) Right. I said, this process is ridiculous. You're using a printer and we're standing in a line an hour long. I missed my flight.
0: and I was very upset.
3: But it was my impatience and the way that I hate inefficiency. And I'm saying there has to be a better way to do this. And the woman is like, could you please leave? But (laughs) I literally, my first startup was to solve that problem. My first startup was creating the airport check-in kiosk that people use today. When you go to the airport and self-check-in at a kiosk, that's a product that we invented and patented and started selling all over the world because it was driving me nuts to stand in line. So it's a DNA thing too. Part of it is just how you're born. And for me, I, you know, inefficiency makes me nuts. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, it's so funny that you mentioned that because recently I went through the nightmare that is the car buying process. Like a month ago, I had to go get a car, and I was thinking the same exact thing. I was sitting there waiting for the guy to come back with my paperwork, and I was like, "What could possibly be taking this long right now?" Like it's been like twenty. Like, <laughs> don't don't you have a DocuSign? Like, shouldn't you be able to auto populate? Like, all you do is put my name. And I don't understand what's happening. You already have my credit pulled. Like, just give me my car. <laughs> but yeah, it's really really funny that, that, you yeah. said that. It's very fresh in my mind. <laughs>
3: Well, that and that is the difference that people that make, you know, drives crazy, those are the ones that wind up becoming entrepreneurs because they're addressing a problem. Not typically. I do see a lot of people that say, hey, I want to be an entrepreneur and they have no problem to solve. They just want to be an entrepreneur. That doesn't work. It works when there's something in the world that's driving you nuts and you got to fix it.
0: Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. You hear my guests and I talk a lot about masterminds here on Build Your Network. They are literally what I attribute most of the new quality relationships in my life to. If this is a new term to you, or you've always kind of wondered exactly what a mastermind is or what it does or how much they are, how to find one, all those types of details, you are definitely going to want to take my free mastermind course. It is everything you need to know about masterminds in just six short lessons. It's 100% free. So there's literally no reason to not at least see what it's about. Just head over to travischapel.com to grab that course and start today. Have a fantastic rest of your day and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it.
3: Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card.